Hello, welcome back to another episode of Seven Figure Music School. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind you that last week, the topic of our episode was, is it your job as a school owner to nag your teachers on communication policies? To what lengths should you go in getting your teachers to communicate and following the policies that the school has laid out? What should those policies be? Well, whether or not you realize it, that episode was recorded live. We had a live audience there, and they were asking questions while Nate and I were recording that episode. And we decided to stay after that episode was completed uh, and answer further questions from that live audience. And we ended up staying for quite a while. So we decided to do something a little bit different for this episode. We actually took that live Q&A that we recorded, and we took some of the best questions that were submitted by the audience either during the live recording or during the live Q&A, and we've turned it into its own episode. So this is a little bit of an experimental episode. Don't know if we'll do this again, but there were some real uh, juicy nuggets, as Nate likes to say, that were given by Nate and myself during that live Q&A. And so we kind of edited down the larger live Q&A, took out all the dead spots and some of the awkward pauses and that sort of thing, and uh, presented a series of questions here. So you could think of this as a series of mini episodes, um, but they all are on really important topics, topics surrounding teacher discipline, communication policies, having the nerve and how to get the nerve to uh, actually enforce the policies that you have laid out for your staff. So we're going to jump right into it. Hope you enjoy this one. Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Yeah, let's see that one. This is a little off topic. When I don't have an admin or myself in the studio, I would like to have teachers take on a duty manager role where they should be in charge. Thoughts on that? Ah, let's just answer that, Nate. That's a great question. Follow-up question for you, Lisa. Is this someone who would be teaching and handling another job? So you're asking them to multitask over the afternoon? Or are you saying you want a teacher who on a non-teaching day could be like a duty manager or a manager on site? What do you what do you give me tell me more? Tell us more. Yeah, while she's writing that in, that answer, I'll say that this is actually Nate, this is something that Melanie does. Um, Melanie is a client of ours and she actually has a teacher that doubles as an admin. She pays her at two different rates. She has a certain pay for the teacher work. She has, and that's just someone that was well suited for both jobs. You, you need a specific kind of personality and attention detail. If you've got that admin role, um, yeah, yes, I'm thinking from possibly 7 p.m. to close, they would just be in charge in case anything happened and close up the studio. Usually no walk-ins and not much happening at that time. Thoughts, Nate? Yeah, here's what I'm doing, Lisa. In real time, I am uh, looking in our G drive right now, and I'm saying closing Brooklyn Music Factory, a checklist. Mm. So the first thing I would say is 100%, you can absolutely, we call this hiring internally at BMF, right? So we all kind of know this pain point. Um, which is we want to bring on a new teacher that we think is A+, great values, great purpose, going to be a long-time awesome addition to our program. However, we have to build up their student roster. So you're asking for a commitment from them, but you still don't yet have all the work necessary that they can, say, work for your program three or even four days a week. Anywho... Yeah, you have one of those now. Exactly. So these are great opportunities to get them on site more often or just working in a different capacity so that they're observing what your school does um, and kind of soaking up the whole culture of it um, and getting to know families, etc. So the first step is, number one, think like Daniel, you said, who, who would be good for this and why? Could be a new teacher that you really want to give more work for. 
Oftentimes we're like, they, we, I need students in order to give them cash. Well, the fact is you're already spending cash on a lot of different things that uh, are people and roles that don't have any students. So, or you may have a handful, right? So, so just think of it differently. Be like, hey, I want to make sure that this person has more earning opportunities over the course of each week. Secondly, once you've culled that list down to two or three people, you're also thinking just like, what are the personality attributes? Obviously, hopefully all your teachers are learning how to communicate really well with parents because that's one of the most important jobs or skills they're going to learn, right? Um, so you're finding those people. Secondly, you're saying, well, in the case of closing up the studio at BMF, they just have to be really good with being like, I want this place to be left in really good shape each day. I want someone who walks in off the street. I want to be able, I, I want someone who can handle a walk-in, right? Do they know basically how to communicate with that people? So there's communication skills. There's sort of like clean up and sort of, are they a fairly meticulous person? Can they follow a closing checklist? That kind of thing. And then finally, I just look at the schedule. I look like who's around. So we literally do the same thing, Lisa, at BMF. We have people that stay to close because the last student is at seven and then they stay till nine. So it's just a little bit of an earning opportunity for them. They close up by nine. It's awesome. So make your clear closing checklist. Decide exactly who you want to approach around that work. Come up with a pay rate that you can live with. In other words, that's operationally sustainable for you. Maybe it's like minimum, maybe it's 15 bucks an hour or 20 bucks an hour, whatever it is. But just say, hey, you'll have a teaching rate for those five hours you're teaching or four hours you're teaching. And then the last two hours, you'll be at a desk rate mm. or at a, at a duty manager. I like that. We call it the community manager. That's our fancy mm. name for that role. Um, awesome okay. question. Any follow-ups to that? Okay. If there isn't, Nate, I got a good question Daniel, for you. Uh, I feel like within the... Yeah. I feel like we touched on this, but um, in all of the pre-submitted questions that we got, um, there were a couple. I'm going to actually read two of them. We got more than two, but these two are so similar. They all kind of sound like this. One person wrote, how do you enforce policies, teacher communication policies, without creating mass animosity? Another one was, what would, a con what would be a consequence I can enforce for teachers, team members who are not communicating as they should? I wonder... Hmm. Maybe we ping pong back and forth on those questions. Like in other words, like the idea of policy enforcement around it. I think that even begs the question about, do you even have a policy? I think that'd be a good place to start. Nate, um, does Brooklyn music factory actually have a written policy for communication in, in internally with the team? Mm, we say things like, I don't think we talk specifically to communication like, hey, this is one of your roles and responsibilities. And if you don't do this, there will be consequences. However, we do very clearly state that your lesson reports need to be sent within 24 hours of teaching. So that's one example of consistent communication, right? That's, but that's communicating externally to the families, uh, to the parents. But what we do say is that um, we do use the approach of, Hey, if someone's if someone is struggling in this role in this facet of their job, and it's an ongoing struggle, so we'll oftentimes hear that less from you know I'll hear that from um, like our private lesson director. He'll say this person's not showing up to their one-on-one -on -one check in. So that's a f mode of communication. He has a monthly one-on-one -on -one with them online. They're not showing up. Or Jessica, who's our you know director of family communication and manages a lot of the people power. That's what we call HR at BMF. Um, she will say this person's not responding to my requests. Like I need them to sign the manual. I need them to do um, uh, sexual harassment training, which is required in New York State. That kind of thing. Um, what we'll then do this first step is we'll actually call a meeting with them. We'll say hey. You need to show up to this because we have some issues we want to talk about. Then the second step is we have every one of our teachers has a file. You actually illegally have to do this. Um, it's just a really good practice anyways. It's just a, a file. It's a G drive file. And basically, <laughs> we'll be like, hey, we asked you these questions. We didn't get a response. They're just screenshots. They're like, hey, we didn't, we, we haven't, and we throw them in the file. 
Because legally, actually, if you're a W-2 employer like we are at BMF, you legally actually have to say, hey, we really want to help you improve in this area. And we're also going to give you, we're going to put you on probation. We're going to give you like a 30-day window to improve. Hmm. Hmm. Right? We very, very rarely have to do this. Usually the first first sort of step is to actually have an in-person meeting. Like it'll be Jessica and myself or it'll be my partner and Jessica, that kind of thing where it's like, Hey, this isn't just about daily operations at BMF. We need to have a sit down and talk about this. What can we do differently? And then we follow that up. The, the key with this is you follow up with that teacher and you say, Hey, you and I agreed that you would try to improve in this, these areas. And this is what mm-hmm. improvement looks like. Just answer us within, if 24 hour, answering us within 24 hours is too aggressive for you right now, can we agree that within 72 hours we'll always get a response from you unless it's around emergency time off or something like that? Mm. Let me give one other concrete example of where we do have a very specific communication outline. So teachers need to take time off, whatever. They have a gig. They want to, their sister's getting married. These are all normal things, Right. Um, we require two weeks notice, right? We also have blackout months. You can't, you can't take time off during songwriting party season, right? So there's months when you can't, but we require two weeks notice, a minimum of two weeks notice for them, for us to grant them the time off. So that's just a very specific example, but it's really helpful for them to go. So if someone, for example, gives us 10 days notice, We'll, we'll simply, Jessica will reply and say, hey, I'm going to review your request, but as a reminder, we require two weeks' notice at least. Right? So that's just a, a specific example around a communication guideline. Um, I don't know if that totally answers your question, Daniel, but that's kind of how we do it. I think it does. And I think it, I think, man, it, it's a good answer. And something comes up for me that I wonder for, for the many people who said they had frustration around this. I wonder if there's conviction enough on their part that they would go to those links. I'm not doubting anybody's, but is it more like, is the, is the energy around this frustration more of like, uh, Oh man. Um, this is so annoying. I can't believe that. Or is it more like, Hey, we're creating an amazing business here and I will do whatever it takes to create an amazing business here. And if that means having uncomfortable conversations with team members to get them in line, then, then that's what I signed up for. Because I think if it's more, and and I'm not saying anyone is like this. I'm not at all. I know it exists, but, but I'm not saying anyone here who submitted the questions is like this, but if the attitude is more like, Oh man, you know, like, or, then there's probably not a willingness to, to have the conversation about being on probation. It's probably yeah, yeah. more, and, you know what I yeah. mean? Like it's probably more yeah. of an energy of just like kind of wishing that the universe would give them the team that they, that they dream of, but they're not willing to create the team that will, will uh, help them co-create the business that they want. It's almost like, man, I hate that this is like this. I wish it was different but not doing the things necessary to make it different. Again, not saying that's true of anyone. I'm just saying that we all have to have those self-examination periods because when there are things not happening in the business, um, and hey, I'll tell you, I've had my share of business issues in the last year. is isn't necessarily around mm-hmm. the team communication piece. It's other stuff. But there are parts yeah, of the yeah. business that I wasn't happy with. And I had to admit, you know what? I'm kind of being a victim in this area. Mm. Like I'm just kind of wishing that it was different and I'm kind of whining about it. And why isn't it like this? And it's like, well, what do I actually, what actions do I need to take to actually create the outcome that I want? And when it came down to it, when I actually sat, did the self-examination really thought about it, I realized, Oh, here's a bunch of things I could be doing differently. That'll do it. And am I, or am I not willing to do them? And At the time I wasn't willing and I had to, okay, I either need to A, be okay that this is happening and drop it and not whine about this anymore. Or B, I actually need to, to do the things that create the environment. So this stops. And I think what you said about documenting, um, 
all the things we spoke about in, in the episode regarding uh, creating that healthy environment and then having the difficult conversations, having the um, doing it in such a way that they, that you are casual about it, but they know you mean business that, that creates a huge change in, in, the, in those outcomes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, we see it. I think one of the most common examples of what you're talking about, Daniel, are when people expand from a one teacher studio mm. to having other teachers on. And in their mind, they just thought, now I can just add more students so we can make more money. Like that was the, the, the basically mm. oftentimes that's the, they just think add more teachers, therefore add more students. But of course they didn't imagine add more teachers. Now I have a whole communication problem that I need to solve, or I have a new habit to learn or yeah. add more teachers. Now I have an HR department. Now I have people power and I have to figure out how actually to um, manage employees. Um, right. So a lot of times it's like, yeah. And if you're that, that pain point right there, dude is oftentimes people are like, ah, I remember saying early on in BMF, I was like, cause I was making way more money running my own studio than running a school. And in the first two or three years, I would just be like, Hey guys, listen, like we're working on something so much more than just teaching a bunch of piano lessons. Like if all I wanted to do was start a business of piano lessons. Yeah. I have no inspiration. There's that. I'm not inspired to that at all. I just go back to getting paid well to be a great teacher. You know, so, yeah. So anyways, you're absolutely right. You have to ask anytime you run into that resistance, you're just like, oh, wait, is this an opportunity that I'm inspired to try to learn around? Or am I actually just totally, <laughs> am I deflated and would much rather yeah. go do something else? And you said something in there I think is so crucial. A lot of times folks inherit these problems because of th their second or third order effects of a different decision that was made. Yes. And there's this really great educator. Um, he was really influential in the seventies and eighties around neuro-linguistic programming. He would design training systems for major corporations. He just understood how humans learned. He understood training and, and uh, human development psychology just at a very, very deep level. He said this thing I'll never forget. He said, we never solve our problems. We only outgrow them. No, I, nice. think, I think there is a corollary too that uh, I think sometimes <laughs> an inverse, I don't know why I'm trying to do this live on the spot, but it's like, I think we don't voluntarily choose to get new problems, but we kind of inherit them because of the choices that get made. Um, mm. And I think, I, I think that happened to me. Like when grow was starting to expand in 2016 and 2017, I started create what started this business was all these blog posts I was writing, but the catch 22 was the more blog posts I wrote, the more clients I got, the more clients I got, the less time I had to write blog posts. So the thing yes. that yeah. was getting the clients, I stopped doing. So then the, the rate with which people were asking to work with me started going down. So I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll hire someone to do all like the, like the, the, the non-creative stuff around the blog posts. Like I'll have them do that. Mm. And then I got all these problems because I didn't train them very well and because I didn't know how to train them. And I didn't realize like it was just frustrating. And uh, I learned a lot mm -hmm. during that period. Mm -hmm. And then that's what actually drove me to hire a coach um, to learn how to train team members better. And man, that was some of the best money I ever spent <laughs> in yeah. my business yes. development. And um, man, like working with that guy, I literally worked with him for only one month and he created such a profound impact that, I would just say that since 2017, when I worked with him, uh, it caused my team to expand faster. I mean, I've rarely had frustrations around the team piece over, over the last five years. Um, and uh, 
you know, I know I'm kind of going off topic. I, I started on Wyatt Woodsmall. Now I'm just talking about that. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was wondering, we have a few people that are still here with us. And I'd love to see if there's any other questions in real time. And I love that Lisa was like, hey, can I just go off topic here for a minute? Oh, yeah. And ask a question. There's no question that's too small. No question that's too large. Uh, anyone listening want to chime in? Lisa, you got another one you want to hit us with? Dana, we got we got a few more minutes here. And I'd love to... Um, keep it in real time if possible hmm. what would be some tips for training nice. good communication you, yeah what would be some good what would be some tips for training good communication practices with your team other than mentioning communication is important in orientation yeah um do you want to go first nate you want meredith, me to jump in well i would actually like to ask meredith to follow up can we do that oh please Just, what are you doing any, are there any tactics you're doing now that you think are working that we can expand on? Well, let me, let me actually yeah. just read that. Um, I try to be clear with expectations such as replies are expected in 24 business hours, but other than that, no other training. So that's helpful. That's a, that's a blank slate with which we, you both, you and I can talk about Nate. Do you want to go first? Yeah. So the first thing I'd say, Meredith, is this is back to Daniel's comment, which is you're just setting expectations. So, um, yeah, that's part of the onboarding of any new teacher or staff member. Um, this is that, that, you know, literally you can cut and paste what you wrote and use your Slack channel or whatever you use regularly to remind people of that. Um, some other, so I want to actually zoom out for a second and talk about where we when we invest in training around communication um, so that I can be more helpful to you around specific examples. Let's talk for a minute about that uh, opportunities to actually train. So one of the ongoing opportunities monthly is that we have Ben, our private lesson director, uh, meets with every teacher one-on-one. -on -one. I think he books 15 minutes, but he actually keeps, he knows it's going to be 30 minutes and they're paid for 30 minutes at their teaching rate to show up, right? It's online. So he can book, you know, he can do 15 meetings over the course of, or he can a week, which is a lot. So by the way, when Ben's busy doing one-on-one -on -one check ins, we're not, I'm not disrupting him. I'm not bothering him with that. Hey, I have a new idea, dude. We could talk about like, can we implement this site reading tool? Like well, none of that's happening because he's busy the fourth week of every month. Um, okay. So in that one-on-one -on -one check in, one of the first questions he asks is let's talk about how your communication with families. And in our case, we use a tool that we've built that shows what percentage of lesson reports have been sent. So you may have, um, a tool that you're using right now, like teacher's own or whatever. there's a whole bunch of great tools out there. So we use one that we've built called BMF connect. Um, that shows what percentage of lesson reports have been sent. And so therefore, how many lesson reports still remain to be sent? So his first question is, let's just look at your dashboard. If you don't have a dashboard, that's not what matters. You can just literally ask, hey, what percentage of all lesson reports have you sent from the last seven days? Right? So just by merely asking the question, Ben is coming back every month to training to this idea that consistent communication is what we believe is literally the most important indicator that your student will stay with you for seven to 10 years. Not with you, with the school, right? Because we're not hoping that they'll stay with one teacher for 10 years. We're hoping they'll go through the journey of Brooklyn Music Factory over seven to 10 years. So that's one very concrete example. Hey, what percentage of less reports you sent? Take it. Another training tip um, comes around, um, okay, here's another thing that we do consistently within our Slack channels. So we will ask for someone's feedback on something. For example, right now we're, we're, we're releasing, we're upgrading our whole classroom management training manual for mini keys and jam band 101, which is our age four to eight. So as I'm sure you're aware, Meredith, classroom management is probably the number one pain point for teachers in their group class programs, especially with the four to eight year olds. They need a lot of support there. So we're improving this manual. The first thing we're doing 
is we're being sure that we're bringing on at least one or two teachers to help improve the manual and we're paying them for their time to give input and ask questions. Like what's most difficult for you? Where do you need the most help? They're part of that, right? Then here's the training tip is that when when we show some of those, when we show the manual, which we've just been doing this week in our exploration Slack channel, this is all around you know, that age group, four to eight group classes, it's in that channel. Um, we will oftentimes say, we will at specific teachers and say, hey, so-and-so, I'd love your feedback on this thing. Now, it sounds so minor. You're like, whatever, Nate. You can, of course, that's obvious. You should ask for people's feedback. But first of all, people don't ask for feedback. They just say, have you read this? For example, they might just say, everybody, please review the manual within by the end of week. Well, okay, that's actually not asking. That's not the right question. You want to be very concrete. And this is what we, I, I talked to this piece a little bit earlier, but we go into the manual and we say, hey, so and so, you know, Sienna, I'd love your thoughts, or I'd love anything that jumped out to you. And what's missing from this manual from your experience? So you're very specifically reaching out to people saying, hey, give me feedback on this thing. Um, uh, let's see here. So that's just a little minor tweak, but it's definitely a training moment. Um, let me see if I can give one other training idea that coming up from our all faculty training that's this Friday. So that's a 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. three-hour training. Uh, by the way, we open with bagels and coffee. So we get some Starbucks, we get a bunch of bagels because we're in the BK, we're in Brooklyn. And all of the faculty, if they want, a free breakfast, they can come at 9.30 for the first half hour. By the way, that first 30 minutes of bagels and coffee, which is like a, I don't know, it's like a $70 investment on our part in food. Um, it's not paid time, but it gets faculty to show up early. And that is huge around the training piece of beginning to trust one another as a resource. Because of course, they're just hanging out, drinking coffee, asking each other, but likely, and this is the feedback we've gotten from teachers over years and years of doing this, that a lot of the serendipitous conversations, like hey, uh, conversations around students they have and things that are working and aren't working happen during those bagel and coffee moments. They happen at the coffee, you know, they happen at the coffee station at BMF. So to frame this in terms of a training opportunity, when you're buying the bagels and coffee and you're setting up 30 minutes there, of course, I want that because I love myself a good cup of coffee and I want to hang out with the people that I enjoy working with. But what we're actually training uh, to as well is just this notion of, hey, we're a team and we all have valuable um, stories to share that will help one another. And that's that last piece that I was talking about um, uh, I've talked about before, which is just that you must actually ask for people's stories and then you must validate their stories. And then some of those stories that I'll hear in bagels and coffee, two hours later in a training opportunity around, say, a beginning songwriting party coming up, I will cite a story or two that I heard over coffee. I'll be, I'll be like, you know, Zoe talked about Maddie, their student. And Maddie has this issue around confidence on stage. I wonder if anybody else has a Maddie story that they can share. Zoe, thanks for sharing that. So that's my last training tip. Um, I wonder if, Daniel, what do you got to add to that? Oh, I have a lot. <laughs> I have a lot to say there because I think it just highlights something I said a little bit ago. Um, but it's just more practical examples of the same idea that, so I have two thoughts. One, you can invest on the front end or you can play catch up on the back end. And in both cases, you're probably having to pay for it, but just in different ways. So one might hear like, yes. oh my gosh, I've got a dozen teachers. I have to do a, I don't have a private lesson director, so I have to like meet with them. Okay, cool. I, I, no one ever told me that before. 
starting the school didn't come with an owner's manual, you know? Okay. That's cool. Um, there might be someone else who is like, okay, I do have a key staff member that could do those one-on-ones, but that's going to cost me, oh my word, that's going to cost me X dollars per month. And it's like, that's a conscious decision, but then you have to ask yourself, okay, I'm going to invest that 500 bucks in meeting time per month, paying them Mm -hmm. at their teacher rate for that time plus the lesson director to meet with them, am I going to get $500 of value in that in retained students? Am I going to get $500 in greater customer goodwill because the program is so good that they tell their, their friends and family more? Am I going to get value out of less training time because I'm turning over 75% of my staff every 18 months? It is an mm. investment, but it, it's so easy to see when you're paying for things that you have to pay for Google ads. Um, yes. Uh, that it's hard to see what you're saving because the problems don't end up existing, which is why I feel like it's easier to put out fires as a business owner for your entire career, because at least you can see the results of your investment of both time and money. It's harder when you work by faith and say like, okay, I'm investing in this, assuming there's going to be a good outcome. And that's where I think it gets down to what we talk about in this podcast all the time, which is measure. Assume your outcomes, make hypothetical outcomes, and then look six months down the road, 12 months down the road and ask yourself, am I getting the outcomes I thought I was going to get? Maybe you got half of them. Maybe there are things that showed up in the business that were really positive that you didn't even expect. It was an outcome you didn't expect. But if you benchmark it and then you work towards that and you're really clearly communicating to the team why you're doing these things, what you're hoping to see, there will be a sense probably that you will move in that direction because there's such a sustained effort in that direction. Second, it is interesting to me, and I've had this thought before, but it's actually taken having this conversation in the podcast and here with the live audience. um, It's actually taken me uh, that for me to realize, oh, yeah, I have had this thought before. That my key team members, some of them, I've been having a weekly one to two hour meeting with them for five years. Mm -hmm. One key team member in particular. She and I rarely miss a week. In fact, she works remotely. She's here in town. We actually spent five hours together yesterday at a coffee shop downtown and then went out to dinner afterwards. Had a great time. It was really good. Um, and, and she's like my right hand. Anyway, point being that it isn't – I mentioned – and we're probably going to release this as a second episode, like this Q&A part – so I mentioned in the previous episode, like I really don't have a lot of communication problems. Well, that's probably why. And so the fact that Ben is investing even that 15 minutes in, in all the teachers at BMF once a month, that 15 minutes probably has an outsized impact on why the team runs the way it does and why, you know, you're not pulling your hair out, Nate. I've never known you to be like that when it comes to this part of the business. And um, that certainly has to do with it, I'm sure. That that piece you said of one-on-one is the most powerful mode of communication. And um, Mm. yeah, I totally agree with that. You you know, um, your exam, your first point there, Daniel, where you said it's hard to develop the faith to make an investment uh, in an outcome that you don't yet recognize, right? Is, um, needs to be highlighted because you're absolutely right. That's what you're doing. You're, you're listening to, you're listening to like me and Daniel talk about this idea. You're hearing, as Meredith said, can you give me some more tips around training for good communication? You're hearing some tips. All of these tips take investment, right, Daniel? They take either money or time or creativity or all three, right? They take, you got to build the systems, da, 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 da. Um, and it's interesting. I think it's worth asking ourselves when, where in our life do we make investments not knowing the outcome? Like hmm. we buy a home. Hmm. We do these things. We all the time in our life we're we're saying, I just be- I've I feel like this is the right choice based on what sort of the world has provided me as a guide to date. You know, like, for example, one of the the biggest investments we ever make for some of us is we choose to be parents. It's just such a massive 
leap of faith, <laughs> right? And so uh, we don't we don't always say I expect the outcome of being a parent to be my my two daughters will bring me bliss and joy for the rest of my life, right? Of course, I never I didn't really think that way. I did think it would be full of adventure and surprises, which it has been. Um, but I love your addition there, Daniel, where you say, okay, so you don't exactly know what the investing in, say, one-on-one check-ins will bring you. So why don't you just take a stab at it and say, if our current retention or our current attrition rate is like 28%, how about I invest in one-on-one check-ins? Doesn't even have to be once a month. It can be once every three months. And my, my attrition rate's going to go down to 15% by the end of 2023. Hmm. Just put something out there. Like you said, Daniel, just choose one metric that's so valuable to you. Because I will say, and you point out like Google ad spend, et cetera, well, we're willing to throw like $800, $1,000 a month at this thing because I think in some ways it's just because there's such a clear, simple metric at the outs on the other side that sh- we that we see, even if we don't know what to do with that metric. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? But student retention... Everybody listening here knows what to do with that metric. If I have my student, Nio, who I've had for years, and he's now, what is he, 12? I know I'm going to have him till 17, no question. So if I get to nurture and mentor Nio for 10 solid years, I know what the outcome is because I've been doing it for 32 years. Hmm. I'm like, Nio is going to have a life of creativity and music making with his own kids. When I just, I know that the likelihood of that is like a, a solid 80% or greater. Yeah. Right. So in, I'm investing in that. So think about those, reframe your metrics a little bit around retention and some of those human pieces that really, by the way, they also really help your bottom line. Mm. <laughs> They're really good for business. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. You said something in there about, hey, just pick a number and go with it. And I would just say that if you missed episode 52, which we released on December 7th last year, uh, you mm. should go back and check out that episode because we talked about how to forecast things like that. So that'd be a good episode to either revisit nice. or listen to for the first time. And I'll just say parenthetically to everyone who's still here that this episode will get released January 18th. So that's why we're referring to something that's in the past that's actually in the future for us right now. Um, but we've actually even already <laughs> wow. recorded this. We've already recorded this episode, so I already know what's in it. <laughs> um, Daniel, can we see if we can take... I, I, we, I know we're running out of time. Should we see if we have one more question or should what, what do we got? I think so. My fear was that there weren't going to be enough questions for us to release a Q&A episode, but based on what's happened so far, I'm 100% releasing this as a separate, like more unscripted episode. Um, so either one more question from the audience, or I've got one more in the in the pre-submitted questions that I think is really good that we could talk about, but let's leave it to, let's give yeah, people let's here a chance first. Yeah. There was a really interesting one, Nate, and it might be along the same theme that um, we've been talking about, but it's different enough mm-hmm. that I'd love to read it here to you. Um, yeah, let's 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 see what we got. There's just a frustration around engaging our instructors in dialogue with one another because they're all in studio at different times and busy teaching when they're there. So because of that, I've created a private Facebook group for instructors and try to post questions for them to think about and share best practices. Only two of them ever seem to engage. I've tried to have mandatory staff meetings and everyone says they have conflicts. What I like about this one is that we can have all these great theories, Nate, Mm -hmm. but then life happens and like people have legitimate reasons that either exist or I'm not saying for this person that it doesn't exist or at the very least they believe it exists. And to me, that's just as good. Um, 
because we mm-hmm. can either address it with something really practical or a mindset shift. We've done both in both of these episodes. Um, but yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts around that, if you have anything that you'd speak to. Yeah, um, I think it gets to our the why piece more than anything, which is um, I'm trying to get my uh, teachers to dialogue. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the, the the goal for this founder is or owner is to get more dialogue between the teachers. So the very first follow-up question I'd ask is why? Why is that important? Yeah, why do you need the teachers to talk to one another? What is it that's not happening currently within your school that's a pain point for you or where you're falling short on delivering on your promise, et cetera, where you need teachers to engage with one another? That's the first question I'd ask. Obviously, we don't have that answer right here, but let's can we make a couple of assumptions? You know, let's let's assume that um, he need or she or she they need teachers to share. Um, yeah, let's let methods that are working well for advanced piano students. And like they don't, everybody's just teaching their own version of a piano lesson, and so he's hoping that um, maybe he's ho- maybe this owner is hoping that they will create a more uh, universal methodology around their advanced students. Like, um, for example, we have um, someone who's in our mastermind who is really committed to the uh, RCM method and wants their advanced students to pass a certain level, right, to move through that. So that's awesome. So you have to say, okay, well, you want those two, you want teachers to dialogue more consistently And you have to state, it gets back to our why, state specifically what information you'd love them to share with one another. So the the tactic that I would use if I was this person is I would actually go, I would start with a personal call to action to them. Sort of like you do, Daniel, where you'll create a video for some, I mean, you create videos for me all the time. Like that's one of your favorite mode of communication when you want engagement from me around what this cool thing we're doing together, you'll be like, I'm going to send Nate a video because there's just nuance. I just want him to know that it's important enough for me to, to actually talk through this. Right? So the first thing I would do is I'd be like, Hey guys, I'm the, I'm now the owner. I feel like our advanced piano students aren't well enough served right now because they're all, we're all kind of doing our own thing. I wonder if we could, I wonder if I could ask of you, I'm speaking to a specific teacher, to start sharing with me and others some of your methods. And I wonder if we could start beginning to find common methods that we're all using so that we could adopt some of those to try to get our advanced um, students all moving kind of at the same cadence, you know, within reason. So I would start by just reaching out and saying like, hey, that's what my goal is. I'd just like us to connect more around this specific issue. And then, by the way, I would ask that teacher, do you feel like this is even even an issue at our program? That's a really important piece. Or is there another issue around it, at our school that you feel like we should be talking with one another about? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Right, because that's as that's an important. Yeah, what do you got on that? Well, uh, I don't want it to seem like I'm getting off topic here, but but I would I deeply resonate with what you're saying in in asking that why question because since we don't know why the person wants this to happen and why they created the private Facebook group, like what is the actual value they get out of it? It could be, and I don't know, but it could be, it's like, ooh, I need them to communicate because that's what teams do. And there could be no deeper reason for it. And then when you actually start asking the deeper question, why, you know, Simon Sinek's the five whys, I think, you know, whatever, like, why? Okay, why, why, why? You get down to it. and, And again, I said, I don't want this to feel like it's getting off topic, but I keep doing this myself. There's a thing that I feel like I should be doing in marketing Hmm. and I'm not doing it. And then when I actually go to like put plans into place to do it and then I really, well, what is the outcome I want from this? When I actually, when I even just briefly scratch below the surface, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to get that from this. 
If I do that right there, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get this. It's going to be this pitiful little result. And I know that the thing that I should be doing is this thing I'm already doing that's doing a great job. And this is a distraction. Well, and that's the why piece. Marketing is such a great example, dude, because we are just deluged. I think that's the right word. With new tactics, tips and tricks. Um, And if we're not, if we're not willing to slow down, like you're saying and ask why, 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 why do I need my teachers to connect? Uh, You know, a very real example of why we need our teachers to connect at BMF is because our literally our whole program is built on collaboration. If our teachers aren't connecting with one another, their students aren't connecting with one another. And if their students aren't connecting with one another, then we have failed on what we promised these families. Period. So that's a very, and I will state that out loud. Over and over and and over over and over and over. You dig? So just like your marketing example. Oh, I mean, actually, you spoke about this a little while ago where you were like, Hey, when I pivot, you know, when I when I got busy doing this one thing in the business, I stopped writing blog posts. And when I stopped writing blog posts, I didn't get as many phone calls with potential clients. The reality is, I know you, Daniel, the place where you thrive. Uh, honestly, I think the really the reason you do what you do is because you get to be on phone calls with people like you want to be on Zoom calls. with. If all I could just be on Zoom calls all day. You. Yeah, I would. That would be the best day ever. I have <laughs> five Zoom calls from 1245 to 6 p.m. tonight. I'm in, I'm in heaven. <laughs> yeah, this is so when you all of a sudden when those started turning into a drip from a port, like when it was pouring and now it was dripping and you were only having like one or two a day or one or two a week, you were like, wait. I'm literally losing my purpose, (laughs) like separate from needing clients and paying bills and, you know, all that, that what goes along with what we do in any job. Um, And so that why piece is, is essential. Um, And I just, honestly, I think a Facebook, like a closed Facebook group is just like our closed Slack channel. It's the exact same thing. You're just giving them a tool. It just takes less training to do a Facebook group because likely most of these teachers Actually, they'd be more comfortable depending on their age and like Instagram or TikTok or whatever. But um, anywho. But let me, yeah, look, can that, I dig that, into that? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Finish your yeah, thought. Yeah, dig. No, no, no. What I, all I was going to say is a closed Facebook group with people communicating with one another is absolutely useless and just another distraction unless you have a very clear why behind it. Yeah. What are you actually trying? How are you trying to benefit them by getting them to connect? Yeah. Like, so that's, by the uh, way, that's another way of framing why. Yes. If you want a nice opportunity for people to share memes or uh, maybe if the Facebook algorithm decides to show everyone in the group in their feed that something has been contributed there, then maybe there'll be activity in there. So, if, if a Facebook group is the mode that you want to use to connect your team, then the things that you're putting there better be pretty unimportant because most people aren't going to see it because the algorithm isn't going to do that. Now, if what you're having them work together on and the reason you want to have them um, uh, collaborate and talk to one another is to build deep relationships, well, then you need to have a bagels and coffee meeting for 30 minutes right. before <laughs> you're all staff, like Nate was saying 20 minutes ago. Like, that's why understanding the why piece of all this is so important. Why? And so, Nate, I kept pestering you about two hours ago about like, well, this why piece around the recital. I feel like we've gone full circle on this. And of course, that was an episode ago yeah. for those of you who are listening to this on the podcast later. Um, yes. Like, why is it so important that they, that, that those, those teachers contribute? Like, what are you trying to get out of it? And once you've determined what that is, you can then make an objective decision because apparently surveys don't get answered. So if it's something super important, then then you need to have a one-on-one with them. If it's something that would be nice to have, then keep doing the survey and just don't be frustrated about it. But uh, we have nice. yeah. we have to understand how is the mode going to be taken and how much how much am I willing to commit to uh, effectively communicating slash over communicating with them to get the answers that I want. And then once we're aligned on that internally, then we can live in contentment with the level of, of um, with feedback that we're getting. And I'll just even put a nice little end cap on that, something we didn't talk about, but that Nate talked about in our prep, 
was Nate still only gets about 80% participation at his mandatory staff meetings, but that's a good yeah. result. Um, so it's never going to be perfect, but if we, if our expectations are in alignment with the reality of it, that Adam Robinson quote, I said, um, the world always makes sense. We just don't understand it. If our expectations are in alignment and we're willing to learn from reality, oh, apparently, um, apparently this mode only gets me this kind of engagement or it could get more with a lot of training around it. Like there's just these trade-offs and we have to decide how important things are, um, and then match that up with the mode correctly. That might be the the greatest like uh, summary that we could do if we just said that at the beginning. We wouldn't have to talk about this for two hours. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, because no, I think it's always the 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 what resonates with you know us as hosts, but then also listeners of the stories. Yeah, that's a great summary. By the way, here let me give you a closing example of a survey where I don't care if I only get thirty percent response. We do this regularly. We're like, what do you need in your teaching studio that you don't have? It's like gear and teaching supplies. And that's just a Google form. We ping them. We'd love to hear what you need so we can better support you. I'm not going to bug them and be like, we expect replies within 24 business hours. Yeah. I'm just sending that out. Maybe, maybe three out of 20 teachers reply to it. I'm like, okay, great. We're going to order some more dry erase boards for these people. <laughs> but right. that's, a, yeah. I don't, that's a, like you said, low priority, different channel. Yeah. And of course, I wish that everyone would reply because I'd love to give them everything they possibly need in order to succeed in the classroom. Yeah. But it's, it's the why behind that is it's just a different thing. So, Daniel, well, right that was fun. Yeah, right before we... Yeah, it was fun. Right before we close, I'm going to ask one more question and answer it in 20 seconds because I got some version on all these pre-submitted questions of what's the best way to get engagement from teachers? How do you engage with teachers? What's the best way? Have a meeting, one-on-one, virtual or in person. That's it. That's easy answer. So anyway, you were getting ready to close this out, Nate. <laughs> no, no, no. I love it. Yeah, get started with that. Yeah. Okay, have a meeting. Cool. One-on-one. Yep. Um, okay. All right. Thank you all for joining us, by the way, those that are here live with us. Yeah. We'll Stuck with us guys. the whole time. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.